suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Hello, dear listener. Welcome back to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. And I say that with emphasis on this occasion because Scott the Velvet Glove is back with us for a performance. Welcome back, Scott. <laughs> g'day, Trevor. G'day, Shay. G'day, listeners. I hope everyone's well. Good on you. We're all well, Scott. Well, well who I'm knows? Yes, people could be ill and not even know it. And Shay, welcome back again. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, so we've had some technical yeah, sure. issues that caused us to be a few minutes late. Had technical issues last week where we had Shay on the wrong microphone, so she's going to sound <laughs> a lot better this week, so apologies for that. And we were mucking around desperately trying to get Scott's sound and audio working, and I think we have, so... All right, if you're in the chat room, say hello, and Joe might be able to join us later. He's somewhere in Rockhampton scurrying around at the moment, and we'll try and get on with us when he can. So, well, Scott, it's been a while since you've been on. And it has been a while. Yes, and anything that we've said over the last couple of months that you want to take issue with, but you know, get something off your chest where you want to disagree no, with anything? Or? Nothing really has upset me or anything like that. I could understand where a lot of you're coming from. I mean, I probably still don't 100% agree with you on China. I think that I do think that uh, Australia should take a tougher line with China and that sort of stuff and tell them to go and get stuffed. But anyway, I don't think we're going to do that. Last week's episode was really good. I was really impressed with that. And I think we're going to be talking about rats and stuff tonight, aren't we? We've got uh, a bunch of topics, dear listener. Yeah, uh, we're going to be talking about oh, a bit more about Jokovic. It's hard to avoid. We'll be talking oh, about no. COVID. We'll be talking about poor government. We'll be talking about religion and Hillsong. The whole intersection of religion and COVID with Hillsong is fascinating. It was bloody disgraceful that the government didn't crumb down on them like a ton of bricks. I mean, they should have come down on them like a ton of bricks. Before. Yeah. Well, we're going to get onto that. So hello um, in the chat room, Jack H, Mel, Daniel, Joel, and Anne. Anne's on as well. So, oh, G'day, Anne. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of uh, things just to follow up on. You might remember I did a podcast a few weeks ago where I was criticising the views put forward by Carrick Ryan on democracy, which was yes. basically... His argument was that all these countries are doing really well because they're democracies and he can't believe that he has to defend democracy. And I was arguing that there are other factors at play. So anyway, Simon from the Rationalists likes the idea of debate because that was a Rationalist article. And so he's massaged my comments into an article and there's a link in the show notes or you can just go to the Rationale magazine and you'll see my comments have been massaged into an article and yeah, who knows what back and forth might arise from that. So, yeah. So, <laughs> Tom the Warehouse. You're quite famous, aren't you? Yeah, I did like Tom the Warehouse's comment there. Yeah, he says, evening all. Glad Djokovic is gone and get tougher on China. <laughs> How Thank can you, we Tom. be tougher? <laughs> all right. I've explained this before. We just say to them very politely. 
You don't want our barley. You don't want our wine. You don't want our, our lobster. Guess what else you're not getting? You're not getting our iron ore. Then in six months' time, they'll come back. <laughs> okay. Also, I mentioned we also had deep throat. Um, speaking of, you know, old faces yeah, coming back. He was very good. Yeah. And <laughs> about the site of the injection in your arm for your COVID mm. injection. And funnily enough, I was playing squash with my mate Noel, who I play squash with every Monday afternoon. And uh, he was complaining about a sore arm from his COVID injection that hadn't happened on the previous injections. I said, oh, just out of interest. You know, whereabouts did they put the injection? He said, oh, it was weird. It was way off to the side. I said, <laughs> where exactly? And he wasn't exactly sure, but he said it was significantly off to the side. And there were two marks. We couldn't be sure which one was the mark of his needle. But it was if it was either of them, he... he he got an injection into his tendon rather than his muscle and and no wonder his arm was sore. So, mm. so dear listener, if you get a friend who has an injection, just have a look and see where it goes because I've got a feeling this could be part of a wider problem based on a small sample of two. Yeah. Well, even just, even just ignoring the pain and that sort of stuff that's going to cause, if mm. it's an intramuscular vaccine, I think is what it was described by Deep Throat as, mm. if it's designed to go into the muscle to get into the bloodstream that way, it's not going to make it into your bloodstream all that easily with going into your tendon, is it? Yes, it may not make it in there. So, so it could be a failure. So we could Exactly. Yeah. So um, I had my um, booster on Monday and I was, I'd gone in blindly the previous two, but I was paying very close attention to where she put it this time. So no, I was I've, successful. Good. <laughs> I've had all three of my shots up here at the Mackay Base Hospital Clinic, which is now down at the showgrounds. And, you know, they could do it blindfolded. These ladies know mm. exactly where to put it. They do it day in, day out, one after the other, and they are brilliant at it. So... You know, I just think that you've got to go with someone that does it all day, every day. Yeah. My advice would be if the person doing it is blindfolded, don't let them. <laughs> uh, nice comment from Jack H there. Thank you, Jack. That's good. All right. Have you got, Have you heard of the movie The Producers at all, Scott? I have heard of it, but I don't think I've ever seen it. Shay, you, it's, have you heard of it at no, all? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's an old Mel Brooks movie and basically oh, yes. yeah. the thing about the movie was that this guy, one guy's an accountant, another guy's this crooked Broadway producer and they've worked out a scam whereby they basically want to produce a Broadway musical but they want it to be a failure and so they find the worst musical they could possibly find, which was one called Springtime for Hitler. And, and they, you know, run the show and due to a series of catastrophes, the director ends up playing the main part and he is as gay and as camp as could possibly be and totally <laughs> overplays a gay Hitler in this <laughs> musical. And... The crowd initially goes, what is this crap? Like, this is terrible. This is awful. It's, you know, it's almost sort of glorifying Hitler. But then the campness and the gayness of this guy comes through and they see, and, and the ones who had started walking out of the cinema sort of come back in and go, oh, this is a satire. This is a send-up of Hitler. And then they really enjoy the play. It becomes a massive hit. 
and it ruins the plans of these guys who had a scam that they actually wanted a failure. And I've worked out the Morrison government. I think it's a similar thing. It's a satirical performance of what a government should be. I think potentially that Morrison and his cronies are a bunch of left-wingers who went out of their way <laughs> to caricature a horrible right-wing government so that nobody would ever vote Liberal or National Party ever again. And people have taken them seriously and they're just waiting for, they're waiting for the audience to recognise the satire. That's, I've worked it out. That's what's going to happen. Oh, I wish. I wouldn't be surprised, but I just think that Morrison's a very much, what's the word I'm groping for, a, <laughs> a bloke that just moves with, he just, he takes the temperature of the room and that's where that's where, where it's going to lead to his, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes into a press conference and he's got two speeches. Mm. One speech depending on how the room looks, the other speech depending if the room looks more favourable to him. Mm. So that really wouldn't surprise me. Now, you know, it was once described by an old friend of mine about uh, Cheryl Kernow, who said that she just moved whichever way the wind blows. Now, I think that's very true of Morrison. Morrison moves depending on which way the wind is blowing, and that's been about all he's done. You know, I honestly believe that had the Labor Party been in office when coronavirus had actually hit, we would not have had the response that we've got. We would have had a better response around vaccines and all that sort of stuff. But do you honestly believe the Liberals would have got out of the way of the Labor Party in the Senate to allow the government stimulus and all that sort of stuff that did keep the economy moving forward? No way. I the honestly, Murdoch, I, exactly. And the Murdoch, and the Murdoch press. press would have been screaming about it. Yeah. I said we're actually lucky in a sense that we had these guys in power because they wouldn't have allowed Labor Party to do anywhere near the sort of money printing that they did. No, exactly. And that's what saved the economy from going belly up completely. Yep. And so far. Yeah. And it also... Yeah, so far. You know, they've still got a... You know, now that the economy is starting to turn and that sort of stuff, you've got idiots from the backbench who are now saying, well, you can't keep spending money, you've got to bring everything under control, you've got to... You've got to tighten your belt and all that sort of stuff. Well, I don't think the country's ready to have the belts tightened yet. No. Nor do I. Modern monetary theory says no. Well, no modern monetary theory says no, and I still, I've still got to, I sort of understand that now, but you just got to, I understand where it comes from, but I do think that having a, a budget that's, got a lower deficit than what we've been reporting would be mm. preferable, but that deficit was necessary to try and get the country out of the shit that it was going into. Mm. I disagree mm. with you about Scott Morrison. I, he's, mm. he's actually rigid in his thinking and he just can't move from it and he just tries to cover up and bluster his way without actually changing his position. So he's all about classic neoconservative ideology, small government, low regulation, and, and this is his problem, is that in times of crisis, like a pandemic, you actually need a government. You need a big government and you need regulations and controls and people doing things. You can't leave it to the market. 
you don't no, leave I it agree to the so, so he's fixed on his ideology and he just is trying to bluster his way around it. I don't see him as as moving as you say with the wind so much as as just covering up when he can't do what his instincts tell him to do. Or mm. when he has done what his instincts have told him to do and it results in a stuff up and he'll just blame everybody else. So, yeah, which he's very good at doing because he never he never takes responsibility for himself. Yeah. You know, he was caught out over going to Hawaii and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Now, had he have told the whole public that he was going to Hawaii, he well and truly ahead of time, and he says, by the way, I'm leaving Mike McCormack in charge while I'm gone, then the fires <laughs> could have happened and all that sort of stuff, but he would have got out of it you know, rather than the whole cover-up and all that sort of stuff being yeah, blown up the way it was. Yeah. He has an ability where a small problem becomes a large problem because oh, of for sure. his cover-ups and yeah. and all the rest of it. So, so yeah. So you anyway. really don't think he's just bending with political will? Me? No. Yeah. Uh, no. Even when he changed the law overnight while Novak Djokovic was on the plane. That was incompetence. And then had to meddle. That, that, that was. Uh, I didn't think he actually changed the law. I just think he got Alex Hawke to kick him out. Yeah. But Apparently, from what I read, from the fifth to the sixth, they had to shift the law around around exemptions. No. They, well, did, they didn't have to change the law at all. So they just relied the on a different law. So okay. they just relied on a different law. So they. So first he's not meddling, but then he's meddling. No, no, he'll meddle, but it's whether he changes yeah. or not. So this okay. is this is the man who's talks about stopping the boats like he loves stopping people coming into the country <laughs> doesn't he but he yeah. also but his problem is that he also has been getting votes from the anti-vax sort of right-wing crowd mm. so he's been allowing people like Christensen and and the like to sort of on the sidelines make noises that would be appealing to the anti-vax movement where the mm. anti-vax movement would be going oh, you know, they're all bad, but at least it sounds like the Morrison government is a bit more supportive of the anti-vax movement. So he... Well, he, Joel, he Bradley's, Joel Bradley's made this comment. He mm. said, you know, Morrison backed George Christensen's freedom of speech on anti-vax, then joined the bag wagon with jo Djokovic. He's all about polling. And I agree well, with him there. Well, well, you know, well, but he, he had a conflict then because he wanted to... yeah. He but he could honestly between... believe, you know, if he honestly believes that, you know, I don't think the Greens are going to be stupid enough to do another Adani convoy up to Queensland this this election time round mm. because no. I think that even privately I think that Bob Brown would accept that that was a mistake. Mm -hmm. mm. So you would imagine they're going to stay out of Queensland. So I don't believe it's going to be the same sort of happy hunting ground for the coalition at the next federal election. Yeah. Mm. There was an article. Sorry. Sorry, there's an article by a guy, Andrew Street, in Independent Australia, and he said that essentially the only way Morrison can win is to is to win in New South Wales a, a virtual clean sweep because he's going to lose seats in, in all the other states and mm. his only hope is New South Wales. And yeah, see, I just think that I, I just think to myself that him kicking Djokovic out the way he did in mm. Victoria was to safeguard the Liberal Victoria exactly mm. because mm. the Victorians have put up with a hell of a lot of crap over the last two years. Mm. They have been locked down more than any other city on earth, 
and they have had a gut full. And then when Djokovic turns up and says, well, I'm not vaccinated, mm. you know, yeah. that must have been a hell of a spit in the eye to them. Mm. Mm. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not out of character for, for Morrison to want to keep people out of the country. <laughs> like, that's, that's in character. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So that's part of his longstanding, you know, stick. So, you know, he's, got, he's in a world of problems, one would think. And, you know, I've been despairing over the last few weeks as to whether it's going to be enough. Surely people can see through it, but I just don't know. I just don't know. I understand where you're coming from, Trevor. I don't Mm. know either because, Mm. you know, I was very surprised at just how conservative it is up here. You know, the people I talk to and all that sort of stuff, they all sort of laugh at Christensen and that sort of stuff, but they say, who else are you going to vote for? Right. You know. Can't vote for those socialists. Well, there's honestly a fair amount of thinking like that up mm. here. But, you know, very bizarrely, the state seat of Mackay is held by the Labor Party up here. Right. But Dawson is held by the LNP. Yep. So it is one of those more marginal seats. Now, I suppose it depends on how much of a fool Christensen continues to make of himself before he actually re- retires from Parliament. Mm. In the chat room, Tom the Warehouse guy says, would appreciate thoughts on Albanese too and his meetings with the Maritime Union of Australia in Queensland this month. Very little coverage on what Albanese has been up to. I wasn't aware of him meeting the Maritime Union. No, me either. No. No, neither was I, but, you know, I'm I'm not at all impressed with Albanese. Mm. Mm. I don't like politicians that have a small targets, uh, Mm. a small target strategy. Yep. Now, you know, I know that people often poo-hoo me and that sort of stuff or thinking, longing back to the days of John Hewson, but John Hewson took a very detailed plan to the public. He argued it and lost. Mm. You know, that was it. But he did a scare tactic. Yeah, through a scare tactic. Oh, yeah, that was a very... Keating. It was a, yeah, that was a very clever scare tactic by Keating. It was, you know, and, you know, one of the things that I think that they didn't actually hammer home the point was that the GST that was proposed by the Liberals back then was not at all dissimilar to what was proposed by Keating back when he was trying to argue for a GST as Treasurer. Mm. You know, that sort of thing. But anyway, it, mm. there's no point crying over spilt milk. But, you know, we ended up with Howard out of that and then we ended up with... 12 or 13 long years of that government. Yes. Yep. So, you know, and you just think to yourself, yeah. Anyway. I'm not so sure. All right, let's move on a little bit. Good on you, Scott, because you've you've scattered me my notes all over the place. <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a tendency to do that because I don't follow notes. I just talk. So, yeah. Yep. That's okay. So um, That's why I'm on here every few months because yep. you can't, you've got to get yourself back in order again. Shay, the... With the advent of the Omicron <laughs> variant, the mm. Queensland government decided probably a good idea to delay the school year by two weeks, the start yeah. of it. And the education minister came out and said, yeah, and what we'll do is we'll extend the school year at the end of the year by a week. Mm-hmm. Did you read what happened? Was there backlash? Yeah. Really? The teachers' union said no. Oh. No. We've got people who have made plans, booked holidays, and no. And the government backed down and said, okay, we'll end when we normally do and the school year will be just two weeks shorter and I'm very confident that they'll be able to do it. So 
That, dear listener, was just a strong union putting the foot down. Mm. There's not many of them left. No. And basically telling the government, no. Mm. I thought that was yeah. a... Well, Scott, you don't like that? No, because they were only extending it by one week. You know, it's one of those things. I do think that the union should have actually sat down with the government and tried to negotiate something a little better than just saying no. You know, it's one of those things. I, I do think that the union should have talked it through and that sort of stuff to come up with something that's a little more workable. Because, like you said, you know, they're starting a fortnight later and they're going to finish at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, do they honestly believe that they're going to be able to compress a fortnight's worth of study over that uh, time? Well, Scott, if, if they get rid of religious instruction classes. Then they'll have <laughs> plenty of time to do that if they get rid of religious instruction studies. I agree with you. That's, but they're not going to do that short of the Satanists having their win in the courts. Mm, so. Still waiting on a decision. So Yeah, so when will they let you know if it's coming out? I just get an email at some point to tell me that the judge is ready, but we've gone past five months now since the mm. decision. So so it's got to have merit in your argument. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, and it makes me think, well, has the judge actually sat down with the government and warned them that this is coming? No. And, no. well, I'm no. just saying it's a possibility that maybe mm. the government's or maybe the government's already been alerted to the fact no. that the change is coming from the courts and they'd better no. make a plan for it. No. I don't know. No. No. Yeah, okay, but, you've got a much clearer view than I do, but yeah. I just thought to myself it could be a possibility. I just hope he's inspired by the judge in the case with Jokovic who actually, you know, found in favour of Jokovic in the first instance, you know. So mm. um, anyway, we'll see. Um, I just thought I'd add it's possible that there's been more consultation since because I, this is just anecdotal evidence which you can take with a grain of salt, but I've, part of a new year's resolution i've been going back to the gym and my instructor was saying she's also a teacher that she is she is leading her classes from the 31st of january via zoom she mm-hmm. feels so bad about it because they're grade seven so it's their first year of high school right so i just think no, there's really? a possibility i think there's a possibility that some schools might have just said no nope, we can do it by we can do it by zoom mm-hmm. it starts the same day what was she, state school or private school? I should school? have asked. Yes. I'll follow up with that next time I see her. <laughs> Indeed, yep. Because I think there's a difference in the union as well because yes. you, you think about it, in the, in the private school sphere, they're having arguments with the government about this proposed religious discrimination bill and the fact that religious school employers are able to sack teachers because yeah. they've had a baby by IVF, you know, or something as innocuous as that. Yeah. So the union, if it's a proper so it's union... Not even just being gay. It, it, yeah, so if it was a proper union supporting its members and had real clout, they'd be doing more on that scale. So I think the union in the private sector for teachers isn't as, as uh, militant and as strong, and mm. I don't think its members are, and... I think so, maybe membership might even be low. Yeah, could be. Mm. So so the answer to that might be, yeah, be keen to know next time when you're at the gym. Yes, I will. Is it a private school? It gives me a reason to go back. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You should go back at least three times a week. Grounding. 
Yeah. How are Scrounging you going? For reasons. Scott, you lost a lot of weight at one stage. That stay off. Yeah, it, right. it has stayed off and I've lost a, I was as sick as a dog last week. Yeah. So I haven't eaten anything for a week. But anyway, um, I thought I had COVID. Yeah. But I I passed the rat test on Sunday, but then I still was feeling bad on Friday. So I went and had a PCR test and I got a negative result on Saturday. Right. And I started to feel better on Sunday afternoon. So yeah. um, over it now, but it was mm. bloody awful. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mel in the chat anyway. room. Mel in the chat room says, "I'm pretty sure some private schools are starting next week or the week after." Yep. That wouldn't surprise me, Mel. Mm. That the private schools do have a different start and finish date. Yeah. So, so okay. All right. So yeah, just on Yokovic, basically the, I think it was the Home Affairs Minister was able to use a different section, and expel him, and. Essentially, under that Migration Act, there's enormous discretion for the minister to just use their a very, very personal and 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 not necessarily well thought out reason, just to have a reason, provided it wasn't completely insane, then it would be enough for the minister to exercise power. And this is sort of highlighting a problem. Like, to a lot of people who wanted Jokovic out, it was like, great, we got rid of him. The problem was that the minister used this, these godlike powers that the minister, particularly in this Migration Act, like it doesn't exist in, to the same extent in other acts. So there was a 2017 report by Liberty Victoria Rights Advocacy Project, which noted the um, minister is granted more personal discretion than any other minister by an overwhelming margin. So, and this is the words of a former minister for immigration, Chris Evans, who was the minister at the time and said, in a general sense, I've formed the view that I have too much power. The Migration Act is unlike any act I've seen in terms of the power given to the minister to make decisions about individual cases. I am uncomfortable with that, not just because of a concern about playing God, but also because of the lack of transparency and accountability for those ministerial decisions, so goes on. So yeah, it's it's n- it's not great for us that we have these godlike powers for a minister. And I mean, these are the sorts of things that allow a minister to authorise an au pair or two to come in and work, and just this this sort of stuff. Godlike yeah. powers. They've got a. They've got a that was wrong. Mm. You know, you've got to give them a certain amount of power, but you've got to be able to pull it back. Mm. And, you know, if you pulled it back, then, you know, Jokovic probably would have been allowed to stay, but mm. I'm pleased that he's gone. Mm. However, I can understand where those on the other side are saying that they've got too much power, and I think they do have too much power. Mm. I think they should actually sit down both sides of Parliament and say we've got to reduce the power and they should come up with a list of do's and don'ts. Yep. Mm. It, it should be more prescriptive and yeah, the government should be forced say. to follow it because that's what happens in, in every other walk of life. Like yes. I applied to run a satanic religious class and I got knocked back by the government, so I'm able to appeal to the Supreme Court and rely on the laws of natural justice to say you relied on reasons that you weren't entitled to rely on and, mm. you know, we got a chance of winning but... That whole process is unavailable to people under this Migration Act when the minister has so much discretion. So 
So it's not good. And but it's very handy for a government like the Morrison government that just likes mm. kicking out refugees and keeping them out. I mean, it's just appalling what we've got highlighted that Jokovic in that hotel and there's guys in there who have been in detention for 10 years or so. Mm. Mm. And no we, as a, we as a country don't give a shit. I know. No. It's, it's cruel. It's really, you know, it's just that we've taken the whole keeping our borders closed and all that sort of stuff to the extreme because, you know, 10 years that you've got someone locked up, that's a bloody long time. Yeah. You know, there was a case that I heard about just recently. It was a bloke who was turning 28 or something like that. He arrived here on a boat when he was 19, mm. nine years in detention. Mm. You know, and he only just made it in via the skin of his teeth on that Medivac bill before it was repealed by the government. Yep. You know, and he was allowed out in the out in the out in the streets for three months, and then after that, he got sent to a, to a detention hotel. He's been locked up there ever since. Yep. You know, it's you don't get those I, twenty. You know, the twenties are the best years of your life. You don't get them back. Exactly. He's no. lost them. Mm. He's lost those years because he was in detention that whole time. Mm. And, you know, it's, I just think to myself, we've, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that another time, but I think we've got to find a more compassionate way forward. And those 1,000 that are still in detention that have been there for a decade, I think we've got to bring them on shore very quietly in the middle of the night, release them into the community, give them all the support and all that sort of stuff and just say, if you want to stay here, you just don't talk to the media. Yeah. Yeah, you just got to try and keep it as quiet as possible. You know, stay here and be a citizen. Like, look at that mm. Bill Wheeler family. Like, for mm. goodness sake. I know. That is them... just cruelty that is just taken beyond a joke. Yep. You know, they reopened that bloody Christmas Island detention centre at an enormous cost to house four people, mm. one of whom was born here, mm. you know, and that was they've, just they've, incredibly cruel. They've obviously made themselves valuable members of the community. You know, just, exactly. It's just outrageous. So and The guy's working mm. in an abattoir up there. Mm. The, the wife does volunteer work and all that sort of stuff, and their two little girls were starting school. Mm. Mm. Anyway, just back to Jokovic, cool. he has got some problems ahead of him because he may not be allowed to defend his French open title in May mm. because the, exactly. the French, French government, government just changed the rules mm. and said that all athletes have to be vaccinated in order to attend and compete in sporting events in France. So they only just recently changed the rules. And so he's in trouble with uh, the French if he wants to go there. Wimbledon, uh, UK travel requirements for the unvaccinated demands a negative test pre-travel and 10 days quarantine on arrival with further tests. So so that's not easy to be in quarantine for 10 days. You'll, you know, lose your edge. And the US Open, travellers to the United States must be fully vaccinated. Really limiting himself to the Serbian tennis fields. Yes. So, so, yeah, very interesting. Father Time is marching on and... He may have lost his opportunity to get ahead of Nadal and Federer. They might all be stuck on slams each. Very interesting. So it's not just tennis that's changing its rules and affecting athletes and what they can do because it's even happening in the NRL, Scott. According to the Batuta Advocate, new NRL restrictions result in players having to host sex parties outdoors from now on. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, it's very amusing. <laughs> Scott, here's a topic that I know you can wax on about for quite a while. Mm. So before you start, let's sh- Shay have a say on this one. An Australian Republic, Shay, there's been talk about how the, the, the president, and the president's going to replace the Governor-General. So how should this figure be? be okay, Scott's grabbing a beer. How should the uh, president be chosen. So the choices are, you know, maybe a, a large majority of the parliament picks picks a president and the other choice is that there's some sort of pool of, of potential applicants and that the Australian public chooses the president directly. And do you have any thoughts on what you think would be the best way? Or maybe not the I like islands way of doing it. So they have a prime minister who they call a Taoiseach and then they have a president who doesn't really have any other powers apart from holding the Taoiseach to account. And they're elected similarly to the way the prime minister is. So it's a vote by the public. Okay. So what I've got on Ireland is that in order to, to get elected as the president, if you like, They've got to be nominated by one of the following, at least 20 members of the parliament, at least four county or city councils, and basically if there's a pool of those sorts of people who have been nominated, then it goes to a vote of the people. So, and seems to have gone smoothly. So, Mm. and on occasions, there's only one candidate nominated, so they're deemed elected without the need for a ballot of the people. So, so that's what they do in Ireland. But so here's Keating's argument. Keating is against the uh, an election of the president by the people, and and Bob Carr's against it as well. And the, and they're sort of saying, well, Bob Carr says, well, look, when it comes to the voting process, and it's sort of a beauty pageant and people are sort of wanting the job, they're going to say things about what they're in favour of and that could potentially create almost a mandate for them. Like they might come out and say, I'm, I'm very strong on climate change um, and renewables and, or things like that. They might actually have an almost a political statement about what things they approve or don't approve of and while they technically don't have any power, it creates a an entity that that's sort of it's sort of voted on separately by the people and, and might be given some weight. So let me just find some quotes here. You know, I understood where Keating was coming from, but mm. I do think that he's got to accept that the nineteen ninety nine referendum was lost basically based on the model. You know, mm. The public are not going to accept a head of state that's appointed by a two-thirds majority of parliament. Yeah. They're just not. And, you know, I put my hand up and say that I voted no in the last election, in the last referendum, because I did not want a president being appointed by that model. Mm. Why not? I favoured the Irish. Sorry? Why not? Because I think that you're going to end up with a situation where you've got now a backhanded sort of compliment to former party leaders. Now, I'm going back a hell of a long way to 
Hayden and those sorts and the likes of them mm. who were given the top job by the government and that sort of stuff on the recommendation. They were given they were given the top job by the Queen on the recommendation of the Prime Minister. Yep. Now, if you've got that sort of thing that's being designed and that sort of stuff, you end up with two-thirds majority and then it could come down to, well, we owe such and such a job, you know, we've got to give him a job. It'll be a job a for job. the boys. Exactly. Yes. And I honestly believe that even with the two-thirds majority of parliament, you'd still end up with a job for the boys mentality around it. But if it's just so a ceremonial is- role... Yeah, I know it's a then ceremonial do we really, role. Is, what's the yeah, problem I with can, a job for the boys? Because, because there's no there's no merit based performance. There's no KPIs you could apply to this position, is there? No, unless of course it goes really bad, as it did in November 1975. Yeah, but mm-hmm. we're, under the structure, we're saying you can't sack the government. So. Yeah, I know. We're saying yeah. we're saying that under this new structure that you can't sack. We're, the we're saying it's purely unless- ceremonial. Purely yeah, ceremonial. And this, and so this new one it is purely ceremonial, which yeah. I agree wholeheartedly with. Mm. So, you know, it comes down to, you know, do we need a separate head of state and head of government? And I'm no longer convinced that we do. I think that we could just have them in the one person, that if the Prime Minister was elected by the Parliament and that sort of stuff, then he or she becomes head of state and head of government. Mm. Now, you've got to have a very strong constitution then backing that up and saying, you know, these are the sorts of things you can do, these are the things you can't do. And that is where I think that our current constitution would fail because it's got a hell of a lot of unwritten implied stuff in there Mm. that you rely on, what's the word I'm groping for? A convention. Conventions, exactly. So you've got all these sorts of conventions and that sort of stuff that there is no model for. They're just things that you've always done. Mm-hmm. So that is why I not in you know I'm prefer this model of I prefer this model of constitution that the ARN has come up with. Mm. But I would prefer to go. I would prefer you know I would prefer to throw the whole thing out and start with a blank sheet of paper and actually say. What are we going to do as a country? And we've got to remap our entire constitution. And then after that, we send that to, you know, you, you could probably, it's a, it's a process that's going to take 20 years, but I would think that the thing to do is to map out four constitutions and actually put them in a plebiscite and you have people come up with their most favoured plebiscite. And then you have them as a runoff match between the existing constitution with the proposed Republican constitution. Which one do you prefer? And I think that would be a better way of doing things. Now, I'm not convinced that we need to have a separate head of state and head of government, mm-hmm. you know, because it's just do one away of those with it. things. Just do away with it entirely. I mean, well, if you, you look at it. just do away with it entirely. If you look at we it, we haven't had one for the last two and a half years. The current guy in the no, job. What was his name? <laughs> what is his name? He's the one whose wife hula hoops while reading the Bible. Oh, Jesus Christ, that's right. Yeah, he's a former military <laughs> man, isn't he? Yeah. And and this is the thing. When he when he got he got he caught COVID just recently. Oh, people, did he? Yes. And people were like, how's that happened? Because this guy was the most effective isolator in the country. Nobody's <laughs> 
Maybe you'd seen him for two and a half years. Mm. So you're right. We, we, I'm with you on that we don't need one at all. If it's, no, if it's purely it's ceremonial almost, and this guy doesn't exactly. even perform ceremonies, like. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, William Dean was the last Governor General I can actually name. No, there was that other military guy. What was his name? Anyway, mm. William Dean was the last one I can name because he was the one that was involved in that brouhaha over opening the Commonwealth, over opening the Olympic Games and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Because they were throwing rocks at Howard at the time saying, well, you've got to have your head of state open the Games, so are you going to ask Her Majesty to come over here and open the Games? Yeah. And, you know, he said, no, we're not going to do that, so he eventually relented and gave the job to Sir William Dean. Yep. So The current one is David Hurley. That's it, yeah. In my notes here, he was raised an Anglican while wife Linda is a Presbyterian. They both keep fit. Miss Hurley hula hoops while reading the Bible every morning. But it is their faith, they say, that binds them. And strangely enough, he hasn't turned out to be a really good governor general, funnily enough. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things. It's, it's one of those positions that provided you don't offend anyone, you can, you can get, the, get the gong as being a good governor general. Yeah. But anyway... Yeah. And then, like, the recommendation is they put forward 11 people for a populist vote, don't they? Yes. Uh-huh. So you'd be, able to, you'd be able to do a little Google search and find out which of the 11 are secular and which are, yeah. which are talented and who has a degree or, you know, you can line it up with your values. Yeah. That's why I prefer this model to the model that was originally run in 1999 because you've got a situation that you've got a short list and that sort of stuff that's going to be put to the public and like Shay said you can just do a google search on them to find out what their what their likes and dislikes are and that sort of stuff and then you can confer from there what their likes and dislikes are as to what type of person they are mel in the chat room says probably caught it in rebel picking up hula hoops Oh, that's good. All right. Quentin Dempster said it appears the only viable pathway to a republic is to put the fundamental yes-no referendum question first. Do you want Australia to become a republic? Then we can decide on the model. So, Can I just ask one more question? Mm. I actually agree with Why that argument. Paul Keating on that panel? What was that? Why isn't Paul Keating on that panel? Why isn't he with the ARM helping because- this is a very harsh view of Paul, is that he likes to throw rocks at things once they're actually com- contemplated. <laughs> now, it has been a very long time since superannuation became compulsory in this country. Yes. But if you listen to Keating, it happened five minutes ago and he was the architect behind it and he designed it and he did this and he did that. So Paul, God love him and I do love him. Mm. I do think he has got an overinflated opinion of his own self-worth. Mm. But I agree he should have been involved in this. Yes. Yeah, he would have been sitting on his hands screaming and that sort of stuff <laughs> saying that you, you can't do that, you've got to go back to two-thirds majority, and then yeah. the two-thirds majority would fail at the next referendum as it did exactly. the first referendum. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, I think this is a step forward, but I don't believe it's perfect. Mm. The other thing I was going to say with all the hot water Prince Andrew's in, there might be a appetite for a republic. Maybe. Yeah. Because yeah. when I saw this on the notes, I was like, no, no, no. People even care about this? Yeah. No, it's one of those things like, no. you know, there's, there's yeah. this whole, 
there is a whole argument, you know, we've got to wait until Her Majesty is actually dead. Mm. And then, you know, do you really want her son? Charles, mm. no. Her grandson, possibly, mm. but not her son, you know. It's one of those things. Anyway. Now, Essential Lord Don's got a very good point here because Paul Keating has all the charm of a striking cobra and and he and we hope he never changes. Well, mm. I understand that. But, yeah. You know. yeah. Well, okay. So that's enough on the Republic and really, you know, nothing's going to happen under this present government. Right. No, it's not going to happen under this present time. government. Yeah. And I wonder if we'll have to wait for all the boomers to die as well. Yeah. Well, we Probably. Yeah. <laughs> No, you, you know, you I think know, so too, frankly. I think you've got to actually wait until uh, a good swathe of the population the is dead before you can actually ask the question again. <laughs> and then you're going to have people like me with even greyer hair than what I've got now. <laughs> You'll right. be arguing for something that everyone's going to be sitting there saying, what's he talking about? You know, it's, you know, and November 1975, well, I was only two when it happened, but... I was alive back then. Shay, you probably weren't alive, were you? No. Exactly. So one of those things is that, you know, one of the seminal moments of our political history is, you know, I'm 48 now, so it's one of those things. I was only two when it happened. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, okay. Um, New topic. Well, not a new topic, but just getting on to COVID, there's interesting comments... (laughs) Interesting comments from the Queensland Chief Health Officer, John Gerrard. He said, Queensland was in an enviable position with just 27 patients in intensive care units and six on ventilators across the state. To put that in context, I was in Tokyo at the beginning of the pandemic dealing with the Diamond Princess outbreak where we had 700 people infected with COVID-19, of which over 30 were on ventilators in intensive care units. So... That is a thing. We sort of forget how serious it was back then. 700 people on that ship infected and 30 of them had to be on ventilators. So mm. we have come a long way. And in Queensland, we've got over 100,000 people infected and just 27 people in intensive care units. So the vaccines are definitely working and, and we should keep that in mind. Like it's been an amazing achievement, really. So That is an incredible achievement. I think mm. it's something that humanity should be proud of. Mm. Because we did, as a species, develop it very quickly. Yes. Yep. You know. Yep. So and there's one thing Australia can be proud of too is the uptake. Mm. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. You know, you know we're at ninety percent across the country, but Queensland's getting closer to ninety percent double vaccinated. But it's one of those things. It's um. You know, it's just a pity that the UQ vaccine was a non-starter and all that sort of stuff but mm. they are still going off continuing to do their research so they reckon they're probably going to come out with covid mark three vaccine out of uq yeah. So, yeah it's a real shame we didn't develop a rapid antigen test locally that we could have used and accessed and provided well we did develop a rapid rapid antigen test locally exactly exported to the united states now exactly yeah. we did develop one yeah. it's Giving me the shits, it really is. You know, I handed, I managed to get my hands on one rat when I was sick, mm. and that was from a box of five that one of the ladies at the office bought 
And she said, oh, I've seen these at the chemist. Do you reckon I should get them? I said, yeah, grab a box. We've got one left now. We've used four of them already. Mm. And this is just people not feeling well. Mm. So we've given them a rapid antigen test. And, you know, I was speaking to a friend of mine who lives in Wales right now. And she was saying tonight that she laughs at us over here because, you know, they're swimming in rapid antigen tests over there. They call them lateral flow tests. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got them all over there. And in Germany, you can buy a rapid antigen test from a vending machine. Mm. In France and Portugal and Spain, exactly the same. You know, it just, I don't understand why Europe can learn from their mistakes, but Australia can't. And this is vaccines all over again, where the government sort of said, oh, we don't need to do that until shit hits the fan and they say, oh, geez, maybe we should have done that. Well, and well, they're running. Well, I've got, an expl- I've got an explanation for you, Scott. Uh, okay. As to why. And according to Bernard Keane and Crikey, yeah. blame neoliberalism. Because essentially these guys have this theory of small government. Government's yeah. bad. And so they've allowed government to be just white-anted and reduced and all we have now is consultants. And so we don't have the government structure that we other countries have and that we used to have where we can fire things up and get things done. So the public service has been decimated by this view that, Small government is good, big government is bad. So there's nobody there to do the thinking and the planning and then and then the delivery. So there's no one there. And that's why these guys haven't planned and even if they came up with a plan, couldn't implement it because government work has been outsourced. There's nobody left to sort of do it. So I think one of the things to come from all this is a recognition by people that, hey, actually... Having big public hospitals is good. Having a public service available is good. So, yeah, and that's, I honestly yeah. hope that that's I honestly hope that's what's going through people's head. Mm. Because you know, I don't know about down there, but up here the vaccinations were basically carried out by the Mackay Base Hospital. Mm. Now, you know, now I know we're only a city of fifty thousand or something like that, but you know, we went from being the laggards of the state to having ninety four point one percent of us first vaccinated and we're up to 89.4% of a second vaccinated. So, Mm. you know, that's a very big achievement and it was done through a government hospital. Mm. So it's one of those things. Yeah, it's it's exemplified by this delivery of the rats where Morrison didn't want the government to be handing them out for free because he didn't want to undermine free enterprise, Mm. you know. I agree. Now the ACCC is taking some of the court over price gouging and all that sort of stuff. Yes. So You know, and you can't even buy the bloody things for love nor money up here. They're just not available. Mm. Same here. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So, so, you know, these guys, when they want to, they talk about the government in in like a third person where Barnaby Joyce says, you know, I'm sick of the government interfering in my life. I want the government to get out of my life. And, Mate, you are the government. Stop talking about it as if you're something else. And yeah. Morrison will often do that himself as well. So, so it's yeah. one of the more infuriating things is to hear that. Mm. Mm. You know, because and Barnaby Joyce is he's always been an object of derision for me, but he's a complete nutcase now. He has absolutely mm. lost it. Mm. You know, and 
he has just and that nonsense where he, he said you know i believe the climate is changing but it just comes down to whether or not you pay a tax to try and stop it mm-hmm. well you know we've just got to look back on what actually happened and when the carbon tax was in well the carbon price was in there right not the carbon tax the carbon price was in there carbon pollution actually went down now that the tax is gone carbon pollution is starting to rise again mm-hmm. so these guys think these guys are just hamstrung by this ideology that you know all yeah. tax is bad all government mm-hmm. is bad mm-hmm. and and people have been swallowing it since reagan and thatcher and it's time to spit it out yeah i agree it's probably it is time i mean it's it's beyond time actually i think it's mm. it's probably something that you know, they should have experimented with in the 80s and all that sort of stuff. But by the time the 90s come around, I think they should have actually had a long, hard look at themselves and said, no, this isn't working. Mm. Mm. You know, because you can just see on the graphs and that sort of stuff, the wages growth is flat, but the profits and the... The so-called trickle-down never happened. It doesn't trickle-down. No, all it is is that, you know... All it is is the wealthy just got bigger wine glasses. That's yep. what to make sure that they caught everything that tripped. Yeah, and publicly right. owned infrastructure, the commons, was sold off and to the detriment of the community, you know, intergenerational theft basically. One, mm. one generation saying we're going to sell off parts of the commons for a temporary sugar hit to our budget, our government budgets, and whoops, it's going to be a future generation's problem that the infrastructure of electricity, internet, water, housing is no longer owned by the government. So, yeah. Yeah, I know, and the internet's a very good one because, you know, the government would never have taken it on board because it was Mark Latham's idea, but he actually wanted to split Telstra and maintain government control over the wholesale business but then sell off the retail business. Yep. And then what he would do is he'd give equal access to anyone that wanted to sell or sell off the retail things. Yep. So then you would have a government infrastructure, government-owned infrastructure that would say, oh, it's probably time that we do something about internet services in this country. Let's have a look at fibre to the premises. Mm. And they would have very coldly considered the cases and that sort of stuff, and they would have realised that it was a good idea, so they would have slowly rolled it out. And we would have had fibre to the premises in 90, maybe 95% of the country by now, mm. and no one would have ever known it was bloody well happening. And that's it's what happened in New Zealand. New Zealand retained exactly. ownership of yeah. their telecommunications. Mm. Yep. Right. Scott, did you see Hillsong ran a event? Yeah, and geez, I was pissed off about that. Right. Mm. So there were laws in place saying shouldn't be holding festivals and yeah. having singing and dancing. And, and they uh, were singing and dancing and unmasked the whole lot. Yeah. Yes, but it wasn't a religious event, so. It was, was okay. a religious event, was it? Yes. Yeah, so it had nothing to do with the entertainment side of it or anything like that. Mm. Well, that makes no sense to me because it is one of those things that you've, if it looks like a dog and quack, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, well, it's a bloody duck. Mm. And that was not a religious event. It was a, it was a music festival more than anything else. And I do think that they should have been fined for it. Mm. Well, yeah. according to Michael Bradley in Crikey, the legislation was such that the government wouldn't have won if they tried to. 
because it was legislation that applied to certain premises and they had to be the hospitality venues, entertainment facilities, nightclubs, major recreation facilities or music festival locations. And essentially this was done at some sort of uh, scout camp. So it wasn't any of those things. And so, and while it might be that the kids spent all three days and nights singing and dancing their faith away, Hillsong would say that that wasn't the focus and who's to second guess it. So according to him, an attempted prosecution would have failed. So that's why they weren't. Well, it probably would have failed, but... Mm. Anyway, I just wish they'd tried it. Scott, some some very religious families in Toowoomba. That's where I grew up. Yes. Allowed eight-year-old Elizabeth Struss uh, health to decline. And she was taken off her insulin medication a week before her death to allow her diabetes to be healed by God, police will allege. There's quite a few religious nutters in your old stomping ground. Oh, there are. There are a hell of a lot of religious nutters up there. It has got worse. Mm. I mean, it was always a fairly religious town, but it has got out of control now. Mm. And uh, now you've got these big churches on the outskirts. Well, it's not the outskirts anymore, but what were once on the outskirts, they're now part of the suburbs. Mm. It's And that really made me sick, that story that I read there, because she was only eight or something like that, wasn't she, when she mm. was taking off her insulin. Mm. And, you know... You've got to be able to sit down and say to yourself, this insulin is a miracle drug. Okay, where do miracles come from? They come from God. God must have must have worked in the, must have made this man develop this drug that keeps my daughter alive. Yeah. But no. They honestly thought to themselves the sanest thing to do was to stop giving the child insulin and have a prayer circle around the child to pray for the child so that the child would get over it and all that sort of stuff. Now, that crap might have worked in the United States. I hope it doesn't work here in Australia. I would have thought that the courts are going to throw the book at them, Mm. and I hope they do. I wonder where libertarian anti-vaxxers stand on this issue, the ones who sort of say the government shouldn't be forcing people to have vaccinations as a matter of personal liberty and freedom. I wonder, I wonder where they stand on this sort of case, how they reconcile it. They say, oh, well, well I've... go on. One would have thought that because it's a child mm. that they would have thought to themselves, well, maybe we've got to actually go with the whole coercion thing because a child's not old enough to make their own mind up. Mm. I would have thought. Mm. Just be uncomfortable for some of these libertarian anti-vaxxers who are all about personal freedom. The government shouldn't be telling people what to do. I this agree. is a classic case where we say, you know what? Sometimes we, the community, do tell people what to do. Yes, absolutely. And the only I agree reason wholeheartedly with you. you're probably the only argument or reasoning these people could try and use to justify it would be as to the proof of the efficacy of, of these drugs. And they would be saying, well, of course, kids with diabetes needs insulin, but it's not so obvious that kids need a COVID-19 vaccine. So it's all a question of degree then. So anyway. No, I, mean, I understand that because, you know, the, the, the hospital wards aren't full of kids. Mm. But this disease apparently is now spreading to younger kids and that sort of stuff. So mm. I just think to themselves, well... They're going to have to take the vaccine, aren't they? Mm. Yeah. 
Right. The Religious Discrimination Bill still being done by Michaela Cash, and she has admitted that with what they've got as their draft that they'll come out with, schools will be able to sack teachers on religious grounds. So as we mentioned before, if you are a teacher and you've had a child by IVF and you're at a Catholic school and they're against the whole idea of IVF, then they could just sack you. And she said, yep, that's what's going to be part of the bill. If it's part of the doctrines, tenets, beliefs or teaching of the religion and the employee teacher is against it, then or practices a contrary lifestyle, then it'll be up to the uh, school could sack them if they want to. And the protection for students, because you'll remember when this whole thing blew up years ago and they talked about students and how they could be sort of expelled from a school for being gay or things like that, and Morrison said, I'm going to protect that, I'm not going to let it happen. It already does, it's existing law, but I won't let it happen. Well, they haven't done anything about it, and Michaela Cash has said, we won't be putting that protection in this bill. So, so after all this time and all these drafts and all this effort, they can have all the energy to put in the bill a provision that says schools can sack teachers, but it's all too hard to put in a provision to say that they can't expel gay students. Just a terrible bunch, these guys. Just a terrible bunch. They're absolute pricks, aren't they? Yeah. Nothing's improved in that regard, Scott, since we started the podcast uh, six years ago, whatever it was. And here's the thing I worry about is, you know, like we were talking the last time we discussed this about how the Labor Party capitulated Mm -hmm. and Joe Biden ran a small target for his election and from some of the podcasts I'm listening to, he hasn't been able to deliver a number of his promises. Mm. No, so this is the thing, you know, small town, and I know they have a different system. And yeah, they, they've got a different system. The, the, but this is what I worry about. If you don't show any courage during a campaign. Then you're not going to show any courage. Are you going to show courage in government? Exactly. Yeah. That, that is why it is really disappointing that Albanese has taken this small target syndrome, I call it. Because we could have won culture war on this bill. We could have. We could have. We could have. Yeah. Had they have actually prosecuted the culture That's war, they right. would have won. Now, Sky News would never concede, but they could Fine. have won. Yeah. But, you know, Sky News, if you'd, if you'd really fought it and they'd really argued it, then you yeah. could actually turn around and say, look, Pauline Hanson's the only one that's in favour of this. Mm. And then the more moderates within the Liberal Party would be saying to Morrison, you've got to walk away from this. That's right. And then they'd have, and then they'd have to walk away from it. Yes. It's one of those things that's a hell of a mess. And I agree with you, Shay. I think that had, had Albanese actually proven himself and taken and taken the bull by the horns and actually argued the point, then I think that they could have won that culture. Yes. But he decided to keep himself a small target syndrome, make himself a small target, which is... He doesn't care. He doesn't care about this issue. He actually thinks it's fair enough. That's the Albanese problem. Albanese does. Yes. Yeah. What did he say in his maiden me. speech where he says it all the time? I was I was raised on, on three great faiths, you know, South Labor, Sydney South Sydney Football South Club, Sydney. Labor Party and Catholicism. He actually and a fair number of his colleagues in the Labor Party think think that, you know, oh that's okay. That's fair enough. School can have an ethos. That means that. 
people don't like it, go to a state school, like they actually just don't care that much, I reckon. Well, they don't that's see it. Yeah, it's one of those things that I find incredibly frustrating about Albanese mm. is that, you know, he doesn't want to fight anything, mm. you know, and because he just wants to be this pussy, pardon yeah. the language, but he is. Mm. And I do apologise to anyone that's listening that doesn't like that sort of language, but he has been behaving like a pussy. Mm. He has not fought, but he has not fought any any of the fights. He has not taken anything up to the government. And it's one of those things that I find incredibly disappointing. Now, you compare that to Shorten, who he took a very detailed plan to the public and he got got crucified for it and he lost the election. But he lost the election fair and square against the government. Now, you know, Morrison was telling half-truths the whole way through it. But it's one of those things. Like, you know. Better to go down swinging. I agree. And to fall over the line with a victory without having having thrown a punch. Yeah, Mm. exactly. Mm. You just like, we just keep, it feels like we just keep learning the wrong lesson. Like Bill Shorten came with some really good, strong policies. I really Mm -hmm. see we could be in such a different position now if some of those had been implemented. But it was his inability to persuade the people. Yeah, and, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous. Like you've got this situation that, um, you know, I'm not talking out of school here. My old man's worth a few pennies. And mm-hmm. he actually said to us, he wrote us an email and he says, now if Labor wins this the next election, you're going to have to reduce your you're going to have to reduce your um, inheritance expectations by 35 grand each. And I thought to myself, <laughs> you know, because he'd actually gone and calculated and he said, well, you know, this is this is the amount of money I get back from my refunded share. Mm. my refunded imputation credits. Right. And I thought to myself, Dad, that's a hell of a lot of cash that you are stealing from the Commonwealth, yes. basically. Yep. You know, he's not paying any tax because he's got everything going through his super and all that sort of stuff. Yep. He's a fair age and all that sort of stuff. I don't have a problem with him getting his income tax-free, mm. but I do have a problem with him double-dipping and saying, well, those imputation credits, they're mine. Mm. No, they never were yours. Mm -hmm. They were supposed to be a refund of income tax paid to prevent the double taxation of of corporate profits. Did you talk about that over the dinner party at Christmas time that year? No. (laughs) You know, it's one of those things you just don't have that discussion with him because he just gets angry and he's 86 or whatever he is. Right. And I just thought to myself, you know, and he won't understand, he won't even look at the history of it all because mm. imputation credits only became refundable back when Howard and Costello were so embarrassed by the rivers of gold that were flowing into Canberra that they had to find new and inventive ways to give some of the money back. Yes. So they said, let's let's make imputation credits refundable. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, now that was only 15 years ago that they did that. Yeah, you know, talking to dad and you'd swear that they'd come through with their guns and they said, give me your imputation credits. Mm. You know, it's one of those things that I find ridiculous. Mm. Anyway, Mm. sorry. That's what they heard. Overwhelmingly, that's what people heard. Mm. That's my retirement. Get your hands off my retirement. Yeah, I know. Now, had they actually actually looked at that and thought to themselves, if they get the imputation credits 
And they, Alison, I understand you get a refund of your imputation credits, but I'm sure it's probably because of your income, not so from your holdings and that sort of stuff. But had they have actually looked at it and thought to themselves, well, the government's going to end up with $5 billion in their accounts if they don't have to spend this, if they don't have to spend this on imputation credits. Then they could have raised the level of part pensions and that sort of stuff. So you could have actually given a little bit more out, you know. It's one of those things that I found incredibly frustrating. Mm. Anyway, yeah. um, I'll so, get my soapbox now. Not bad policy, but terrible salesmanship. That was the problem for Labor. And this yeah. might be about to happen again, like what Jack says here about, I suppose after hearing from previous PMs, being a small target for Murdoch may be a different and possibly good, pla- good play. From where I'm standing, Albo's policy on safe and secure work, so secure work, same job, same pay, particularly in my line of work right now, we really need that policy and it's landing for flight attendants. Mm -hmm. But on Facebook, Twitter, which I know is mostly trolls, but you do get a sense of public sentiment, people who are in secure work don't care about people in insecure work. Right. So it could be another wedgeable thing where Scott Morrison goes, things are pretty good. So Albo is going to have to persuade the people who it won't affect that it's still good for them. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. and they're just lacking sales, salesmanship, I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mind you, he's lost a lot of weight, so he's looking good. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've lost 35 kilos too. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, just back to Ireland, I mean, we think things are bad here. Do you know in Ireland Catholic schools account for 89% of primary schools in the state? Yeah, I did read that, and Mm. that was um, really very unfortunate. And they've got a a argument going on over there right now where the – Irish, Irish, Irish atheist or something like that mm. is actually arguing that whole point and saying that uh, they're arguing for the UN to go in and have a look at them, aren't they? Well, what they're arguing for is they want at least the children be able to leave the classroom during religion classes. Yeah. So it seems like, Alison and Julia, that in Ireland not only is 89% of the School's Catholic, but the kids can't leave the classroom during the religion class. So, so yeah, that's that's what's going on in Ireland. Property prices, Scott. Yeah, I know. I just sold my house. Yes, and no doubt for an obscene amount of money. And let's just it wasn't obscene at all. It was quite legitimate. (laughs) (laughs) So, there's an article here from class divide to intergenerational theft. Australia's real estate frenzy leaves many behind. So there's a story here about an unrenovated semi-detached home in Bondi, recently sold for more than $2.7 million. And it had last sold or traded back in the 1950s, 70 years ago. A thousand quid, wasn't it? So at that time, a thousand, yeah, a thousand pounds at that time. So... It's in mint original condition, three-bedroom home. So it's basically the original home, very, very well kept. In fact, I'll put a picture of it up on the screen with a bit of luck. Let's try that. So there you go. That's the the bathroom, neat and tidy, but original (laughs) in many respects, obviously. 
And yeah, I haven't seen pink like that for a long time. Yes, <laughs> that's right. And, I mean, this is one of the other rooms. Nothing fancy about that, neat and tidy, right. but it's just a room. So, so basically, mint original condition is a good description for it. And let's get that off the screen. Last traded 1950s for £1,000. And it sold for $2.7 million. Now, had it merely tracked the consumer price index or basic inflation rate over the last 68 years, then its sale price would have been $37,000. So if it had merely just kept pace with inflation, it should have sold for $37,000. That tells you what's the craziness that has happened to property prices in the last 70 years in Australia. And uh, some more statistics along those lines. Saul Eslake, he's a really good economist here in Australia. He says what's really striking is the decline in home ownership rate among people under the age of 45. He's surprised there isn't more anger from young Australians about being locked out of owning a home. I'm surprised too. I'm surprised mm. people aren't angry. Like, why don't we? Why don't you think we are angry? Because I, at parties where I talk to young people, say to them about these things, and I say, "Why aren't you angry?" (laughs) So I ask. I ask people. I tell them this is what's going on. (laughs) Why aren't you angry? (laughs) Don't they say the sea bomb? So I, I don't know. They just we got bigger know. problems, Trevor. We got a climate change crisis. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We got a lot of shit to handle. You know. Well, don't you think that you can chew gum and walk at the same time, Scott? Let it go on. <laughs> no, I think that you've no, got you've the got your problem. They can sort out housing affordability, and we'll sort out the climate crisis. Or right. you can get out of the way. Well, if you leave it up to the boomers. Then nothing's going to happen. <laughs> That's right. No, that because, right. okay, I'm not a, okay, I am 48, which, no, I'm not a boomer, I'm still Gen X. Yeah. But I've just sold my house that I bought in 1997 mm. for an obscene amount of money. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I now, can assure you, dear listener, it's, it wasn't a palace by any means. <laughs> no, it was not a palace. It, you know, it was one of those places that when I found out what the land value was and all that sort of stuff, I said to my mates, I said, changing a light bulb in this place is overcapitalising. Yeah. And that was what I lived by. Mm-hmm. The place was a tip. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things It just, and I sold it at auction and that sort of stuff. And I was getting very close to the reserve price. And the agent rang me up and he says, look, we're probably going to hit the hit the ceiling here. What do you want to do? And I said, look, just sell it. And he, he came out with those magic words, okay, we're on the market. And then after that, the price shot up. Mm. And the price just kept going up and going up and going up. Mm. So I had no choice. You know, it's one of those things. I've sold it. Now, I bought that place in 1997. I did nothing to it. It's one of those things. It's just... The craziness is it would have gone up 25 to 30% in the last 12 months. Oh, absolutely, that's, for sure. That's the insanity of what's going on. Yeah, um, exactly. And that was the whole point. I mean, I, yeah, I, was expecting, I was expecting that real estate would go backwards with the recession and that sort of stuff, but it hasn't. The real estate has continued to go up. Mm. 
none of which makes any sense. Shall you? I don't. I don't get get the point. The point for me is is that like it's not even. It's starting to become not even in the realm of possibility for young people. That's why they're shrugging their shoulders. Well, yeah, you know, they're a bit yeah, like the character. That, that is a very good point. That is. So we've got a we've got all this other stuff that's got to happen first, like managing the temperature, managing the climate. I think that the climate people. and that sort of stuff can be done at the same time. I agree. I agree. had a value shift. Hmm. Now I'm just not sure what you can do with that because you know I've sold that place for an obscene amount of money now, mm. which is fine. Now, I know what's going to happen. You know, the, the bloke's going to drive a D4 through my front door and he's not going to stop until he hits the rear boundary fence and then he's going to bulldoze the place and he's going to split the block in two, mm -hmm. which is fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that would then mean that even after you develop the place and that sort of stuff, you put two houses on there, you're going to want to sell each of those houses for $1.1, $1.2 million to break even. Mm. You know, that's the sort of money that we're talking about that they're actually paying for land. Now, you know, the real estate agent was very good and that sort of stuff. On the night, he said, he said, well, he said, ladies and gentlemen, you know, they're not making any more land in Mount Cravat, which is very true. Okay. Land is not, you can't make more land. It's one of those things. Now, I was extraordinarily lucky. There's no doubt about that. I was very lucky. You know, mm -hmm. I had my father and that sort of stuff at the time who, he loaned me the money to buy the place and that sort of stuff. I paid him back with interest. I was charged interest. There was no doubt about that. Mm. But it's one of those things. It's I did buy that place at the right time and I think I've sold it at the right time too yeah. because, you know. Yeah, but, you I, know but, Shay, you know you said like, oh, people are worried about climate change and other things. Mm. It's kind of the same issue in that, in that they're both intergenerational theft to some extent, where, yes. where earlier generations are taking advantage of things at the mm. expense of subsequent generations. So I just... Um, I agree. Earlier generations were driving around in V6s and V8s cars. Yeah. So I just, I just don't... Under well, in the chat room here, um, let me see. Jill says, apparently John Howard said words to the effect of no one ever came up to him in the streets and complained that their house sold... Uh, for too much money, and that's quoted in Paul Keating's biography. And that's true, but we're going to get to the point where there's a whole bunch of people who can't actually own a house who are going to be, mm. who should be getting angry if somebody was to communicate to them long and loud enough and say, hey, you, wake up. This is what's happening to you. You shouldn't be happy about this. You should be mm. angry. But... At the moment, both parties pander to house owners and they're not prepared to run that argument. So people people haven't been made aware that they're being shafted. Sometimes you don't know when you're being shafted. And yeah. You have to wake up. It's like if you're working in a job and you suddenly find out your colleague doing the same job is getting paid more money than you. Up until yeah. that point, you might have been very happy but suddenly you're really angry and really pissed and you go, what? I'm being shafted. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess the only thing to say is I'm in the housing market too mm. and it was kind of timing as well. So mm. Kevin Rudd started a scheme called the First Home Savers Account 
So if you put in such and such amount of money, he'd put a huge amount of interest on top. When Tony Abbott came in, he abolished the scheme. It didn't get a good take up. I'm not sure why. I thought it was a really good scheme. Mm. You were practicing saving your money and then the government was assisting you with your savings. Mm. So I am just, I've just bought a little dump Mm. in, in the right suburb, combined that with the timing around first home savers scheme and that sort of stuff. Mm. But it actually is kind of added to the problem, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah, well, those schemes did so add to the problem. Policies. Exactly. Yep, yep. I mean, this doesn't happen in other countries like this. Housing isn't the investment vehicle in other countries like it is here. It's quite unusual. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit like gun control in the United States where we say, you guys are crazy, and they go, what do you mean? This is normal. Well, people look at us and go, you're crazy. It's not normal. So people just don't understand. So just so then, the people who don't, the people who can't get in the housing market, they get angry, then what? They should then vote for a party that's going to do something about it. But at the moment, neither of the parties are actually going to do anything about it. You've already said that. Correct. Now, I, you know, I don't know where we can go from here because my house was just a tip, Mm. but it's sold for an obscene amount of money. Now, you know, you can't actually say to someone that's just paid an obscene amount of money, you paid too much, we're going to reduce the price by 40%. Mm. You can't. You Do know, you know what the buyer was? Sorry? Do you have any information on what age the buyer was? No, nah, couldn't yeah. tell you. Yeah. yeah. You know, he works in the real estate industry and all that sort of stuff. Okay. You know, he's just, he bought the block of dirt with had a house on it, so he's just got to demolish it, which is fine. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You know? Yeah. So I just want pictures when they actually push the place over. Yep. Just according, <laughs> according, to, this, like according to this article, between the years immediately after World War II and the early 1970s, houses basically cost three times average male annual earnings. Mm. And that ratio didn't really change much over a period of almost 30 years, according to Sol Eslake. So the question is what's changed? And one of the things that's changed is... It used to be really hard to get a loan in that you needed a really large deposit and mm-hmm. banks would were reluctant to to lend to people. So, you know, banking was heavily controlled and that's not the case anymore. So whereas people used to have to have huge deposits up to a third of the value of the property and banks were extremely conservative about how much they would lend. They used to actually, my brother actually said once that they used to look at just one if you went as a married couple, they would mm. look at the income of the man and they would ignore whatever the women had made and that sort of stuff because the assumption was, well, she's going to drop out of the workforce and have babies. Yes. Now, that's one of the things that made it a hell of a lot harder for people to buy because, mm. you know, you had to be looking just at the male's income. Mm. Yep. So that is probably one of the reasons why house prices have gone up because as banks have been... As banks have increased lending, then that has increased the ability to borrow, borrow, which has then led to the increased ability to buy, mm. and that has had a hell of an uplift on prices. Mm. So I'm not sure what you do with that. You can't go back and say, well, you've got to actually calculate this based on the male's income. You know, you can't say that, but it's one of those things that has hurt the uh, it has hurt the ability of people to go into a house for the first time. It's a very difficult problem to fix now with so many people now heavily committed to large loans. Um, mm-hmm. It's a really 
difficult one to deal with. Of course, one of the reasons why, see, the thing about housing is it's not just the normal laws of supply and demand, it's interest rates. And we've got historically low interest rates and interest rates, of course, tied up with inflation. And here's something to bear in mind, dear listener. Uh, Scott, US inflation rate for the last 12 months, do you know what it was? Well, it's six or seven percent, yeah, wasn't it? Seven percent. Yeah. That's pretty high. It's very high. That's that's getting up there. So yeah. so that's that's the highest it's been in four decades. So Australia have to wait and see what the wages actually yeah, do. Australia, three percent. But the whole idea of interest rates being so low, if inflation keeps moving along, expect to see interest rates moving and then expect to see problems in the housing market potentially. Mm. Yeah. Right. Just briefly, we mentioned, Scott, you would have heard me over the years rabbiting on about submarines. And yes. Yes. <laughs> now From the very awesome tanks. Yeah. <laughs> so now it's going to be tanks, clearly. Mm. This tanks issue, it, it's even crazier on the face of it than the submarines. You, you, you can mount some argument for the submarines, but tanks that we've never used and we're replacing a fleet of them. But here's the thing, dear listener, that I came across was that eight months ago, the United States Defence Security Cooperation Agency put out a news release basically saying that they're approving a possible military sale to the government of Australia for these tanks. And it listed them, the 75... M1A2 SEP V3 Abrams main battle tanks, 29 M1I50 or M1150, I don't know, a whole bunch of them. Anyway, the price quoted in that was, let me find the figure here. Why can't I find this figure here? $2.3 billion Aussie. And eight months yeah, later, when the government does its release, it's 3.5. Yeah. So eight months ago, the USA is saying, yeah, we're looking at selling all this stuff. It'll be $2.3 billion. And we've signed is up for 3.3 billion. Is that 2.3 billion US or 2.3 no, billion Aussie? No, 2.3 Aussie, right. 1.78 US. And now we're paying 3.5. So it's gone from 2.3 to 3.5 in eight months. Yeah, as long as they're going to give us a bloody good discount on the nukes on the nuclear submarines, but I doubt they will. What? They don't have to. They don't have to. So, <laughs> all right, Shay, it's nine oh five. You're out of the shark tank. Kept you out <laughs> yet again. Right. Bravo. Okay. Joe we haven't was, heard from Landon in a little while, but have we? No, we haven't oh. heard from Landon Hardbottom. Dear listener, if you want to leave us a, a message, you can leave a voicemail message. Go to the website and you'll see a thing called SpeakPipe voice messaging, you can leave us a message. That would be nice. You could shoot me an email. There's a contact thing there. If you've got something to say, that'd be nice. What else? You can become a patron if you like. That would be good as well. Next week, I'm going to do some book review or something like that. Come back with a panel in two weeks' time. Scott, it was great to have you back on board. That was fun. No I'll have to have you more often. Trevor, thank you. Yes. Yeah, you can have me whenever you want me to. Right. So. Very good. Cool. I hope I'm not standing on your toes, Shay. Right. No, no. no. All good. All right, well, that was fun. Thanks in the chat room. You guys are making good comments, as always. We'll talk to you. I'll talk Can to I you. Can say um, something? Mm. Just um, for those of you who go back and listen to this, there's a point where I'm laughing at a comment while Trevor's talking about the death toll. Mm. 
before COVID, and I just want to say that there was a comment that I was laughing at, not what Trevor was saying. So just okay. yeah, no, we all know you. We all know you. Yeah. Okay. With all that, talk to you next week. Bye for now. Yeah, cheers. Thank you very much. Well, you probably wonder what uh, politicians do on uh, Christmas Eve. Well, it, when it's drought, big cattle. Now, you don't have to convince me that the climate's not changing. It is changing. And my problem's always been whether you believe a new tax is going to change it back. Look, I just don't want the government anymore in my life. I'm sick of the government being in my life. You know, and the other thing is I think we've got to acknowledge is, you know, there's a higher authority that's beyond our comprehension and right up there in the sky. Unless we understand uh, that that's got to be respected, then we're just fools and we're going to get nailed. <laughs>